Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good morning and welcome to our service at the Winkler Burktaller Mennonite Church. We're glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you are visiting with us for the first time, attending regularly, or joining us by internet, our prayer for you is that you would feel at home and that you would sense the Lord's presence. Once again, the psalmist has said in Psalm 150, verse 6, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is what we want to do this morning. As we worship the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Bow your heads with me as we come before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we pause before you to worship you and to praise your dear name. You are the great and awesome God that we have come to worship, and we do not only worship you on Sunday, but every day of the week. Lord, we also realize that you give us the strength to live the Christian life, for without your strength, we cannot do it. I pray, Father, that as we come before you to worship you, that we have already prepared our hearts. And Lord, that you would go before us, that you would be in our song, songs that we are singing, the scripture is read, and the message that is brought. We pray, Father, that you would speak in all ways to us so that we can live according to your word. I pray now, Lord, have your hand upon this service. May we exalt you and worship you. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, we are going to have uh, worship and song, and we have some special guests with us, Sandra Reimer and Joanne Clausen. Come and share with us. Good morning. Uh, let's start with 532, to God be the glory. I don't know if you guys like to rise in your church to worship, but if you can, please do.
page 555, Would You Be Free? Blessed Assurance.
for our mission spots at this time. We have Lou Peters, who represents World Surf, and he is going to come and share with us. Lou? Wow. Good morning. It's good to see such a good number of people come to church on Sunday morning. It's certainly a pleasure to be here. As Dean said, my name is Lou Peters. I uh, work with an organization called World Serve Ministries. This morning, in the few minutes that I have, I want to talk about the harvest. It's February, I know, but <laughs> it's not long till we're seeding and then not long till it's harvest again. And a verse, a couple of verses that I've chosen to, to use this morning are taken out of Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So what we have here is Paul speaking to believers about getting the message out to those that have never heard before. How we need to be out there sending people, helping people to spread the news of the gospel. Now this is an agricultural community and I think most of you understand about the harvest and what goes on. And if you think of just a few months ago as you were out driving about, you'd see these big machines out in the field gobbling up the crop. And it didn't take long for one of these machines to cover 160 acres. Some of the newest ones, I think, six, eight hours, and they've, they've covered it. But if you go a few miles down the road to the museum, you're going to see a whole different set of machinery. And if you're there at certain times, they have these harvesters that they feed by hand. And I'm thinking there's some of you that are only slightly older than me that still remember that. Uh, I didn't get to ever see that on the actual farm one where my dad was, but he did. So quite a, a different scenario when it comes to harvesting. And compare a little bit. And forgive me if I'm going to be a little bit blunt about that this morning. And as I get older, I see the time is getting short. But here's the disconnect. As I look, the harvest here in Canada and U.S. is slow to ripen and slow to get ready to be harvested. And yet we have this wonderful machinery that can do all this, uh, that is ready for the harvest. But in the countries that World Serve works in, you have to think about the machinery that's a few miles down the road. They don't have the church, large churches. They don't have the programs and, and the equipment to, to reach out as effectively as we do. And yet the harvest is ripe. When Jesus uses in the, in the parable about the harvest being, you know, 50-fold, 100-fold, that's, that's out in the areas where the church is persecuted and where the things are poor and rough. And that is where WorldServe seeks to serve. We don't send people, but we empower the church that is there to be more effective in their work. 
WorldServe seeks to be the conduit in which we have partners like you join the persecuted church to be more effective in the work of bringing the gospel message to the many that are ready to respond to that message. So in the short time that I have remaining, I'm going to give you three examples, maybe four, um, of how you can be involved. This is something that I work with every day, and uh, I see the results. Um, I'm involved in in shipping food to countries because when your stomach is louder than the gospel message, it's hard to hear. And so we provide pastors with food so that they can go into the community and bring it to the most needy. And through that, hundreds have been reached and are coming to church and hearing the gospel message. Number two, I know it's not, for the younger crowd at least, not a habit to bring your Bibles anymore. It comes in a little electronic form so often. But I do see a number of Bibles here. And in many of these countries, that Bible, the pastor might have a Bible, and there might be a, a Bible in some of the churches that they can share in the congregation. And if they're lucky, there can be one in the home. And it's shared by the members in the home and, and probably the neighbors as well. And often we've heard of a Bible, Bible being parted out just so that you can have some of God's word in your hand and so you can learn. So World Service is a part of getting people like you to provide Bibles so that people can have the Word of God in their home, in their hand. Many times those Bibles, I just talked to our Cuba field director last night, he said four or five U.S. dollars gets a Bible. Often we can get a New Testament for a buck. So that's something that I'm thinking just about everybody here could be a part of. Second area I'd like to talk about, and it's an area that's really close to my heart, and that's children's ministry. Because it's one of the most effective ways of building the church. We have church planters that say if they focus their ministry on adults, it takes them two to three years in these countries to to gather a group of 25 to 40 believers. And that's what they call a church. If you've got 25 believers attending, that's a church. But these same church planters say, if I focus on children's ministry, I can have a, a church up and going in six months. Because children are so responsive and children are so inviting. Because children bring their parents to church. And I had pictures this morning, and we weren't able to show, show them, but there's two, two ways that really touch my heart. We're providing churches with weekly kids' club material. It's colorful material. And usually we provide 50 books to a church. But the sad thing is, or good thing, is often they have two or three children sharing each book because there are so many children responding and um, hungry for the word of God. The other one is we have wonderful children's ministry leaders. They're evangelists, actually, but they go into their communities and they invite kids to kids' events. 
And so if they'll invite 100 kids, usually 200 show up. And through clowning, puppetry, storytelling, uh, usually involves some sports, and most importantly, well, not quite, cake and juice. So the cost of, you know, cake and juice and a few extra things gets them a chance to share the gospel. And I've sat where a clown has held these kids in attention for over an hour. And as my translator is telling me what she's saying, there's an absolutely clear gospel message, and their kids are responding to the gospel. That's something that you can be part of. And then third area of ministry that um, gets me. Did you know that 85% of the pastors in third world countries have never had any biblical training? I'm not even a pastor. I'm a farm boy, a salesman, and even I've been to Bible school. But many times the Bible, no study aids, is that these pastors are all, all that they have. And World Serve Ministries is seeking to have something called a Bible school in suitcase. What we do is, is we gather pastors together for a week at a time, During this week, we teach two college-level courses. And then they go home and and study. And they do that three times a year, and it's done over a three-year period. And it gives these pastors a firm foundation in biblical studies. These courses move through Genesis, through two revelations. And often these pastors will come weeping and say, why didn't we know this before? This affects my marriage. This affects how I teach my children. And as I shepherd the church, I've read these verses out of my Bible, and, and they've been totally out of context when it comes to the teaching of the whole Scripture. And so by doing that, we are spreading the gospel and and causing these men and women to be effective trainers in building up the bride of Christ, which he calls the church. It's just totally amazing how this transforms men and women in their ability to reach the people in their area. We're not about sending people because I know that somebody that is raised up in this community as a missionary and as a pastor doesn't have years of language study to overcome, doesn't have to figure out what the cultural things are. And if we can train somebody from this pastor to lead this congregation, he will be an effective minister. I'm not negating what that Pastor Dean or Vic They've been in those situations where they've been in their communities. And I'm thankful for these men. Um, But when you can take in these countries and and take an indigenous person and train them, they are just so effective in reaching people. So where does that leave you and I? We all can't go. But as it talks in Romans, beautiful are the feet of those that can go. 
And I would suggest that beautiful are the feet that can help those people go. But if the Spirit is prompting you this morning to be a part of that sending of people to go and reach the lost people of the world, I would ask that you respond to that. And World Service isn't the only organization. There's organizations in this community that are doing their work, and that's great. But World Serve is one of them that is effectively reaching the world with the gospel. So as I said, if, if the Spirit is prompting you that you would like to be part of one of these areas, I know that there's some of you that could easily take care of the kids' club program in a church. There's some of you or a few of you that easily could take care of that World Serve Bible College program in a country. Talk to me. I didn't think, don't think my name got in the bulletin, but Pastor Vic or our dean certainly can direct you my way. I'll leave my business cards on the back side table. I'll be hanging around afterwards if you want to talk to me. I'm very much open to coming to your home or to having you in my home or coming to co- meeting you at coffee here during the week uh, at church. I love to talk and share. There's so much more, so many more individual stories that I could share with you this morning. But as you do ministry, be be intentional uh, to go out there and serve others and reach others with the gospel. Time is short. We see that. Maybe as you get older, you feel that, and I would just encourage you to be involved. There's such a blessing in being involved in the ministry of spreading the gospel. Thank you. Thank you, Lou, for coming and sharing with us. Indeed, World Serve is an excellent organization that we can reach out around the world to train pastors, to train other individuals who are indigenous to the countries where they serve and can serve very effectively because they know the culture. And when they are equipped with the word of God, it will go forth and it will produce fruit. So once again, thank you, Lou, for sharing with us. If you want to contact him, um, you can call our office or call one of us, either Victor or myself, and we'll get you in contact. I encourage you to be praying for that ministry, and if you can support in any way, it will make all the difference. A few announcements. First, following the service, um, uh, at 1045, we have men's Sunday school class, ladies' Sunday school class, and a special Sunday school class. So uh, make your way out after the service. On Monday at 7 p.m., we will be having a finance committee meeting. On Tuesday, 9.30 in the morning, uh, women's prayer group. And on Wednesday at 2 p.m., the Bible study on Revelation. Then, of course, we ask you to be praying about our missionary of the week, Preston and Myra Wheeler, as they minister to businesses through the Internet and come in contact with different individuals, training business people on how they can be discipled and how they can reach other people with the Lord. Take your bulletins, the insert with me, and you will find the pink one, and it's entitled Valentine Soup and pie supper and that's taking place tomorrow it's from 4 p.m to 5 30 p.m and it's pick up or delivery there's a menu that is put on there and to pick up 
or delivery, please sign up at the table in the foyer or call the church office and the number is there. And by Monday, um, February the 14th at noon, so you can still order up until noon. And of course, it says donations will be accepted for missions and will be greatly appreciated. Just once again, on page two of your bulletin, we would ask that you turn to that. We appreciate seeing people wearing masks in the foyer and other public areas, but we need to strongly remind everyone again that the current order states that masks must be worn during the worship service. We ask for your cooperation in complying with this health order. We know these restrictions are not ideal. But we pray that we will focus on Jesus, worship, and compassion for one another as we try to navigate both the congregation's needs and government regulations. Annual report books are out. They're at the back um, on the table on the side foyer. Please read them in preparation for the annual meeting coming up, and then we are asking you to not only be in prayer about it, but to attend the annual meeting, and that's February the 28th on Monday at 7 p.m., so we encourage each of you to be there. And then also um, the 2022 church address directories are available on the table at the back. We ask you once again pick those up. Health needs. You know, it's interesting. Um, there's always health needs. If I, I believe that's one of our number one prayer requests, that people who um, are sick in some way, they need prayer, they need encouragement, and um, not only that, um, support. And um, over at the Boundary Trails Hospital, we have Olga Friesen in the hospital, also uh, George uh, Enz is um, still in the hospital, and we ask you to continue to pray for them. Uh, Margaret, I see, is at home and worshiping with us today. Welcome. We're so glad that you're back with us, and many people have been praying, and we'll continue to pray for both you and George. And then uh, Swans Lake Hospital, Jim Braun is there waiting for to come to Salem for a place. And also Betty Reimer, who is in Emerson, is, is waiting to come to Salem also. Be in prayer for them. It's hard to be away from loved ones when you're so far away and when you are ill of health. And then remember Eileen Dick in prayer. She'll be having surgery this Friday, February the 18th, and pray for peace of the mind for Eileen and Dave and their family. Remember them in prayer. Remember the doctors in prayer as um, uh, the surgery that will take place. And we know that God will give wisdom to the doctors and also strength to Eileen and her family as they go through this time. And then just remember expressions of sympathy. John Fair passed away on Friday, February the 4th. Funeral arrangements are pending. He was the brother to Annie Fair. Then Ben Buchert passed away on Sunday, February the 6th. His funeral was held on Friday, February the 11th. He was the father to Nettie and Walter Duick. And Evelyn Bergen passed away on Monday, February the 7th. A funeral will be held at a later date. She was the sister-in-law to Vernon Hebert. At this time, we call our ushers forward for our morning tithes and offerings.
Bow your hearts and heads with me in prayer as we come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your many blessings. How good you have been good to us. Heavenly Father, at the same time when we come before you, we realize that we are such needy people. Without you, we are nothing. Without you, we would fail. We thank you for your provisions, the way that you have ministered. And yet, Lord, we have requests that we bring before you. Heavenly Father, first of all, we bring our annual meeting that will be taking place on February the 28th. We ask, Lord, that you would have your hand upon everything that is said and done. We know this is a very special time as we have been uh, going through leading with vision and many people have attended the presentation. And Lord, that will also be being discussed at that time. Lord, we pray that as you guide and direct our church, that we will be listening to your voice so that we will be doing what you want us to do, going where you want us to go, and that you will lead and you will be in the front. This is our longing and our desire. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our missionaries, and our featured missionary is Preston and Myra Wheeler. Lord, we thank you for their lives that they have dedicated to serving you, that they walk with you, and through the Internet, they have such a great ministry uh, that you have ordained them to go forth. Lord, as they meet with business people around the world, Lord, we know that you can disciple through them, that you can train business people, and you can minister into a special way. I pray that you would meet each and every one of Preston's, Myra's needs, that you would equip them, continue to equip them for the job, give them wisdom on what to say, and Lord, may everything that they do be firmly grounded upon your word as they walk with you and as they minister to business people around the world. Heavenly Father, we also thank you for Lou and his mission, that he works with the mission. Um, we ask, Lord, that you would have your hand upon World Serve, Lord, as they minister around the world to so many people, taking indigenous people and training them in the word so that they can be effective amongst their own people. I pray, Father, that you would raise up many givers, many supporters, not only financially, but those who will be praying. Praying as the word goes out, we know the harvest is ripe before us, and it needs, and it needs workers, and we pray for those workers to go forth. Thank you once again that you hear, you answer prayer. Lord, we remember also those individuals who are in hospital. We pray for Olga at this time. Olga Friesen, we pray that you would give her strength, Lord, as she battles cancer. I pray, Father, that your presence would abide in that room, Lord, that you'd comfort her, strengthen her, as well as her family. And, Lord, I know that she is very much a woman of faith and a woman of praise and always has a praise upon her lips for you. I pray, Father, that you would undertake. We pray that you would bring healing to her. And yet, Lord, we know that whatever you do, you are God. And, Lord, we know that should she go home, she would be in your presence. We pray for her strength at this time. Pray for George and Margaret. We thank you for their lives. We pray for George. Ask, Lord, that as he is still in the hospital, that you would give him strength. And, Lord, that you would bring 
your recovery to him. I pray, Father, that you would touch him and once again bring him home. I pray also for Margaret while she is at home, even with her daughter. I pray, Father, that the communion would be sweet among them. And I pray, Father, that um, as, as you have your hand upon her, that she would also come to 100% of being better. I pray that you would continue to touch and bring strength to her. And then, Lord, we pray for those who are apart from us. We think of um, Swan Lake Hospital with Jim Braun there. He's, he's far away from his loved ones. And, of course, Betty Reimer, as she is in Emerson. We ask, Lord, that there would be a place here in, the hos- uh, in Salem that it would open up. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give them strength, both of them, as they go through their difficult time of illness and hardship. Heavenly Father, once again, be with Arlene Dick. Lord, we pray your hand upon her as she goes to um, surgery uh, next Friday. We ask, Lord, that you would uplift her, give her strength. Lord, guide and give wisdom to the doctors. And as they work and have your hand i pray that your hand would be upon her through this whole time and that you would lift her up and bring her back that she would be um, healed and that she could move on thank you lord that you answer our prayers thank you lord for john fair ben buchert and evelyn bergen who went home to be with you we ask lord that your hand would continue to be upon their families Give them strength. Lord, yes, there is a time of rejoicing and yet a time of sadness as loved ones go home to be with you. But Lord, we thank you that you paid the debt and that when we know you as Savior and Lord, our home is guaranteed. And when we leave this world, we are with you. Once again, Lord, we thank you for all the blessings. We pray for anybody else who is in um, church today who may be suffering whatever problems they may be facing, whether it is health, whether it is finance, whether it is family issues, or some other issues that nobody knows about. We pray, Lord, that as they turn to you, you would grant them strength and your hand would be upon them. Heavenly Father, now, as we reflect upon our blessings, we simply give back to you what you have given to us In fact, we own nothing. We have been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus. Now I pray, Father, that as we give our gifts unto you, they are a reminder to us it has all come from you, and it is a reminder that as we give to you, you will take these gifts. You'll use them for today and for the future and for all eternity because it will change when we are faithful to you. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is taken from uh, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though any army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. 
One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted about the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek your face, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a strength, straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Thanks for reading that scripture for us, Dennis. I chose Psalm 27 for a scripture reading today, not because we're going to look at it specifically, but because it encourages us. It is a bold declaration of trust in the Lord that, regardless of our circumstances, uh, this psalm calls us to seek the Lord to trust him, and to wait for him. And that's what we want to talk about today. Wait for the Lord. I've pondered what that means to wait for the Lord. What does it mean to you? How do we wait? When do we wait? Why do we wait? One answer is because God encourages it for our good. It is to our advantage to wait on him. You might think, sure, wait for the Lord, and do what? We often think of waiting as inactivity while time marches on. Some of us associate waiting with wasting time. I certainly have. The work ethic that has been handed down to us certainly helps us to think that. So if you happen to be a farmer and it's lunchtime and your wife said she'd bring lunch uh, to you out in the field and at 12 o'clock she's not there, do you just stop and wait? (laughs) I'd probably go another round or at least maybe stop and check the equipment. Um, Waiting in a situation like that just seems kind of fruitless and we can even point to scriptures that help us think that way, right? Uh, from Second Thessalonians chapter 3, If anyone's not willing to work, let him, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, 
Not busy at work, but busy bodies. And another verse from, uh, from Proverbs uh, 6 says this, A little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Idleness, doing nothing, waiting, all seem like synonyms to us, right? They all seem to say the same thing. However, there are those who make very good use of their waiting time. One man that I heard speak said that he usually has about six books on the go. One in the bathroom, one in the living room, one in the, maybe by his bed, one in his vehicle, and so on. When that man has to wait, he makes good use of his waiting time. His mind is not idle, but productive and growing his knowledge and understanding. Waiting on God also means very little if one is not looking for God's direction or understanding. A young man could pray, Oh God, please show me the woman I am to marry. But if he's not really interested in God's answer, then he's not really waiting on God. But if more than anything, that young man wants to know, wants God's advice on whom he should marry, then he will train himself to be attentive. Attentive to God, attentive to his word, and to know what God has to say. He does this because he is anticipating the answer and answer. So that's a case of looking for direction specifically. We also look for general direction in our day-to-day living. As we read God's word, we're keeping our eyes open for God's principles for daily living, aren't we? How do I manage my relationships at home, at work, and in the church? Every day we can anticipate hearing from God if we want to. Pick up your Bible, ask God what he wants to show you, and start reading. He'll speak. Today I want to invite us to have a look at the account of a young man who learned what it meant to wait on God. If you want to kind of follow along generally, I'm going to whip through the life of, part of the life of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're introduced to a shepherd boy by the name of David. Saul was king in Israel at that time, and he had been for a number of years. And he hadn't turned out to be the kind of king that the Lord desired for his people. So God sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse of Bethlehem to anoint his chosen to be the next king in Israel. The youngest of eight sons, David was referred to as a boy or a youth. Samuel went to the house of Jesse and waited for God to tell him which one to anoint. From the oldest to the youngest, the first seven passed by and none were chosen. Then Jesse sent for the youngest son who was out keeping the sheep. And they all waited for him to come. And when David showed up, the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for he, sorry, for this is he. Samuel anointed him the 
the Spirit of God rushed upon David from that day forward, and David or Samuel got up and left. So now what? Was David now king? Not yet. He must wait. How long must he wait? Well, let's have a look at the road that David traveled. Samuel was anointed the shepherd, uh, the shepherd, sorry, Samuel anointed the shepherd boy David to be the next king. Not long after, David was brought as a musician into the service of King Saul. David's harp playing seemed to ease the mind of the troubled king. Saul loved David and made him his armor bearer. One day as Israel was facing off against the Philistines, Goliath stepped forward. And if we want to read that account, it happened for a number of days in a row. Finally, David stepped forward and he faced off against Goliath and took him down. Saul said, David, over the men of war, and this seemed to please the people. After the return from their expedition, the women sang, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, when Paul heard that, he became jealous and angry. And after that, he kept a close eye on David. The next day, a harmful spirit came upon Saul. Saul raved in his house. David played the harp for him. But Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a spear, and David managed to get away. Saul's anger and jealousy grew as God granted increasing success to David. Saul wanted to kill David. Jonathan, Saul's son and David's good friend, warned David to flee. So David fled to Gath, a city among the Philistines, which would be toward the Mediterranean Sea and a little bit south of Jerusalem. And he found out when he got there that his reputation had preceded him. So he acted like a madman so that they wouldn't think that he was a threat to them. Then David left Gath and fled to the cave of Adullam, and many gathered with him there, including his family. He had about 400 uh, men with him. Saul, in his jealousy and suspicion, killed the priests at Nob, just a little further north of Jerusalem, in his pursuit of David, because he believed that their kindness to David was an affront to himself. So you can see that Saul is going a little bit mad here already. Saul pursued David to the wilderness of Maon, but he had to return because the Philistines were attacking. Then Paul, then, sorry, then Saul pursued David again to the wilderness of En Gedi, which is down by the Red Sea, uh, by the Dead Sea. And that's where Saul entered a cave that David and his men were hiding in. And with the counsel to kill ringing in his ears, David determined that he would not kill the Lord's anointed. And after Saul left the cave, David shouted out to him, honored him, and showed him the corner which he had cut from his robe. And David pled with Saul to acknowledge that he wished him no harm since he had spared his life. Shortly after that, the prophet Samuel died. Saul again pursued David, 
this time to the wilderness of Ziph. David and others entered Saul's camp at night. And again, David was counseled to kill Saul. They stood right by the sleeping king. And rather than do that, David took Saul's spear and his water jar, and he headed up to a hilltop from which he addressed the king. David did not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed, even though the king continued to do evil. David returned to Gath in the land of the Philistines. When Saul heard about that, then he stopped pursuing David. I guess he thought that if he was with a different people, he wouldn't be bothering him anymore. Well, the Philistines were gathering for war against Israel. King Achish of Gath instructed David and his men to go with him into battle. I guess a a certain amount of friendship had developed between them. Saul was concerned about the Philistines and about the uh, upcoming battle, and he wanted to know what to do. And if Samuel, of course, wasn't around anymore, so what did he do? He disguised himself and sought out the witch of Endor to inquire of the deceased Samuel. To the horror of the witch, (laughs) Samuel appeared and foretold the victory of of the Philistines and said to Saul, Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. As the Philistines gathered at Aphek preparing for battle, the lords of the Philistines were viewing their troops. And they noticed David and his company among them. And they refused David's participation because they were Hebrews. So David and his men went back to Gath. And when they got back there, they discovered that their camp had been raided by the Amalekites. Their wives and children, everything had been taken, their city burned. Now David's own men were talking of stoning him and blamed him for all their loss. A good test for a future king. David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord told David to pursue the perpetrators and rescue their people. God granted success to their efforts, and nothing of all that was taken was lost. Everything was recovered. Back on the battlefront... The Philistines fought against Israel. The men of Israel fled and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The sons of Saul were slain, and Saul, being badly wounded, fell on his sword and died. Samuel's words came to pass. When David heard of the news of the battle, he mourned the death of Saul and Jonathan. God then directed David to go to Hebron, which is a city uh, a number of miles south of Jerusalem. And there he he was anointed king of Judah. But Abner, the commander of Saul's army, took Saul's remaining son, Ishbosheth, and made him king over all Israel. And Ishbosheth reigned in Israel for two years, but the house of Judah followed David. There was a a long, I don't know if you could call it a war, but a lot of conflict between the house of David and the house of Saul. Much bloodshed over the next few years as David grew in stature and his kingship was established. 
Abner and Ishbosheth were both murdered, not by David or at his command. And then finally, after reigning for seven and a half years at Hebron, all Israel gathered together and made David king over the whole nation. David then took Jerusalem from the Jebusites and made it his home. Then he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. There was much celebration. God gave rest to David from all his surrounding enemies. And he made a covenant with David to establish his throne forever. That's a thumbnail sketch of 1 Samuel 16 to 2 Samuel 7. A good read if you're looking for something to do this afternoon. So how old was David when he was anointed as God's chosen to be the next king of Israel? 13, 14, 15? Suppose he was 15 years old. The the Bible records that David was 30 years old when he became king in Judah. And he was about 37 then when he was anointed king of Israel. David waited about 23 years for God to fulfill the anointing that he received on the day when he was called in from the fields. 23 years. He was hunted like an animal. He spent years on the run, lived like a a fugitive, all because of one evil man. With the knowledge that he had been anointed as God's chosen servant to replace Saul as king. Was David's trust misplaced? Was it worth it to wait on God and to seek his counsel? Was the price too high to wait on God's timing? David was given at least two opportunities to take Saul's life and then take his rightful place as king. But David respected the authority of God's anointed and waited for the Lord, for his counsel, for his timing, and for his strength. Many times David inquired of the Lord, waited for God's answer, and acted accordingly. David completely depended on God. What did Saul do? At the beginning of his reign, Saul made some good choices. But at some point... God's trust in God seemed to dissipate. A little bit reminds you of the encounter of Peter out on the sea when Jesus was walking on the water, right? At first, it was no problem. And then his focus changed and he sank. And at some point, Saul's trust in God seemed to vanish. One glowing example of Paul's failure to wait on God is the encounter at Gilgal. Gilgal is just north of Jericho in the, in the Jordan Valley, and just north of the, Red sea, of the Dead Sea. In Samuel chapter 10, the prophet said to Saul, Go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come and show you what you shall do. So Samuel would be coming with instructions. 
instructions that Saul would need. While Saul and his son had been fighting the Philistines, Israel had become a stench to their neighbors, and so the call went out from by Saul that all Israel should join him at Gilgal and prepare for battle. Saul was at Gilgal, according to Samuel's instruction, waiting for Samuel to, uh, to come and make offerings. Meanwhile, the Philistines had, uh, were assembling to fight Israel. They were encamped at Michmash, which was about 11 miles to the north. They had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand of the sea. You can imagine the pressure and the tension that Saul felt as he's waiting and waiting and waiting. (laughs) Saul waited those seven days, but the people were afraid and began to scatter. Samuel had not yet arrived. So Saul made an executive decision to take on the role of priest and proceed with the offerings. As soon as the offerings had been made, Samuel showed up. What have you done? Saul gave his excuse, and then Samuel said, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Why couldn't Saul wait? Is it because Samuel seemed to be late? Because the people were leaving? Because the enemy was organized and ready to strike? Maybe it's because Saul thought he was losing control of a situation that He could control. Could it be a reflection of how much Saul trusted God? I think this encounter shows us at least partly what it means to wait on the Lord. At a basic level, I think it means to trust. How long would you wait for someone you don't trust? Or how often would you wait for someone you don't trust? How long would you wait for someone you do trust? Trust seems to be a key element of waiting. If I trust, I can wait. If I trust God, I know that I'm waiting for something better than I can provide from someone who cares more about the situation than I do. Saul was focused on the enemy that was ready for battle and camped nearby. He saw his own people, scattered and afraid. Samuel was late, as Paul saw it, and it seems that Saul didn't have much faith in Saul's promise that he would tell him what he should do. So Saul took matters into his own hands. He disobeyed the command, he acted on his own authority, ignored the fact that Samuel was coming with instructions. Saul did not trust Samuel or the God who sent him. That turned out to be very costly for Saul and his family. What a contrast to David. David showed complete trust in God, while Saul revealed that he had none. David's throne was established forever, and Paul's lineage or, and Saul's lineage was cut off. 
We see the difference that waiting on God made in the lives of these first two kings of Israel. Does it make a difference for us? Is it practical or even possible in an instant access world to trust and wait? Let's return to our first question about waiting on the Lord. What does it actually mean? As we observe the life of King David and what, uh, what did it mean to him? And I would say there are at least five things that I'll pull out this morning. There are more. But the first thing we discovered is that waiting on the Lord means to trust the Lord. We can see from the time that David was a shepherd boy and he rushed toward Goliath with sling and stone that David trusted the Lord completely. He was not focused on the enemy. He was focused on God. David ran toward Goliath with the confidence that the Lord would deliver that uncircumcised Philistine into his hands. And he did. David fully trusted God. The second thing we notice is that David waited on the Lord by inquiring of him. Eight times in the accounts of David's life we read that he inquired of the Lord. And then he waited for the answer. Do we inquire and wait for the answer? How do we inquire? Well, typically we inquire through prayer. And we might add that we can inquire also through fasting. How many of us spend time fasting? Once a week? Once a month? Once a year? We don't talk about it much, which makes me think we don't do it much. And fasting doesn't simply mean doing without. Fasting means that you skip a meal so that you can spend that time in prayer. Try it sometime. Skip a meal and spend that time praying. And if you can't afford to skip a meal for whatever reason, try skipping a hockey game or skipping a, an, an evening out with friends or something and spend that time in prayer. It's not, fasting is not, again, it's like waiting on the Lord. It's not doing nothing. Our church is in the process of making some important decisions regarding our direction. Are we seeking God's direction? Are we fasting and praying? Why don't we make that a commitment to do that, either one day a week or, um, or maybe just a couple of meals in one day? Or I don't know how you want to do it, but find some way to set aside time to give up a regular activity. To pray. The third thing that David did in waiting on the Lord was to follow him. Why was it that God rejected Saul and chose David? Here's what the Lord said to Samuel I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. 
for Samuel 15:11. Following God is the act of obedience. God speaks to us through his word. Are we only hearing it or are we doing it? After Saul disobeyed, God sought a man after his own heart and found him, found that man in David the son of Jesse. Waiting on the Lord means following him. Fourth, waiting on the Lord means to look to him for strength. When David and his men had returned to their city and found it plundered and all their people gone, it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. All alone, no one to turn to, David waited on God for strength. We do not gain strength from ourselves. We gain strength from drawing near to God. He is our strength. And in him, David gained strength. Fifth, waiting on the Lord means leaving judgment and vengeance to him. While David was in the service of King Saul, and Saul was so bent on killing David, David did not try to settle the score in any way. In Psalm 37, David wrote, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And in Proverbs 20, verse 22, we read, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. We do not need to concern ourselves with the prospering of evildoers. We often see people doing wrong who seemingly suffer no consequence for their wrongdoing. But in the fullness of time, they will get their full reward. God knows their deeds, and even though it seems that injustice reigns, we can take heart because the Lord will judge and set all things right. It is not our responsibility to make sure that those who are wrong or do wrong get punished. David waited on the Lord by allowing himself to suffer at the hands of an evil king. Let me give you one example from my own experience of waiting on the Lord. And this, I would say, would be one of the benefits of waiting on the Lord. It produces confidence in us. When God hears us and he answers. In 1998, I was nominated as a deacon in our previous church. And at the time, uh, at that time, we were elected for life. I didn't want to say yes without proper consideration. And I didn't want to say no and possibly miss a call on my life. We were given one week to think about it and respond. It so happened that at the end of that week, I went to perform with the Saskatoon Symphony. And so it took me away from Eileen, took me away from kind of all my surroundings. So that in one way was kind of nice. I, I spent a lot of time 
focused on God, inquiring of God. And I couldn't seem to get a clear answer, but I kept inquiring. My flight home was early enough on Sunday morning that Eileen and I made it to church on time for the morning service. That morning, we had a sharing time, and I believed God used one of the men in that church to give me his answer. That man stood up and said, Those of you who have been nominated, accept it with joy. And then he smiled. I'm sure he wasn't looking at anyone in particular, but he was looking squarely in my direction with that outstretched arm. Then I thought, okay, (laughs) the only thing I need yet is for the Lord to bring my wife to the same conviction. And after church, we went home and we discussed it and we agreed that I should let my name stand. All week I was left to ponder and to struggle with the Lord, not really seeing any clear answer. But when the deadline came and I needed an answer, God gave it. I was actively waiting on God through reading and prayer. In Psalm 38, David wrote, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. When we wait on the Lord, he answers. So let's do a quick summary. Waiting on the Lord means to trust God, to inquire of God, to follow God, to look to God for strength, and to leave vengeance to God. I have not nearly exhausted the reasons Scripture gives us for waiting on the Lord, and I'm sure you could give me more. When we wait on the Lord, we do not need to move ahead of his timetable or his purposes. But waiting on the Lord is not inactivity. We do not say, it's in your hands, God, and then just fold our hands and do nothing. Waiting on the Lord is active anticipation of the Lord's direction in our lives. We do it by humbling ourselves before him, reading his word, praying, fasting, and obeying the principles that he gives us in his word. Waiting on the Lord, we could say, is a way of living. Is that how we live? Is waiting on God a message for Winkler Berchtoller in 2022? I believe it is. We have been wrestling through COVID for two years now. And we're engaged in planning sessions about the direction of our church. And all these things have left us with various thoughts. We don't know what lies ahead. But as we walk this road together, let's remember the words of the psalm that Dennis opened with. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. And wait for the Lord. 
If you think I need to be challenged on anything I said here this morning, please come and talk to me. I'd be happy to engage. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the story of David, that we can look at his life, his encounters with you and with others, and take counsel. And I thank you for the things that we could pull out of your word today for what it means to wait on you. And I know, Father, that as much as I've been preaching to this body, I've also been preaching to myself. Help us, Father, to learn what it means to wait on you, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to take direction from you, to learn to wait for your answer, and to keep looking to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you receive this benediction found in Romans chapter 15? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God go with you.